so many people in the room. Uh, I don't know if you like me, I, that made me remember when the Lord called me. And what a sweet moment that was. And what a sweet time. So many people in this room have that testimony. But if you don't, uh, I'd just like to say that you can respond to the Lord Jesus. You can say, Lord, I, I need your help. And he will meet with you. Jesus promised this. He said, anybody who comes to me, anybody who comes to me, I won't cast away. But you have to come. You have to say it. Lord, I want to know you. I want to experience that. I want to taste that. What he said, I'd like to experience that personally. And Jesus is here today. We're going to preach a little. We're going to worship a little and to end this meeting. And if at any time during this meeting, you say, Lord, I really want to call on you. You'll find out that he'll meet with you. There'll be an opportunity. We'll pray together at the end. But if that's you, I just want you to know, uh, I really feel like the Lord has called you here for this day, for this moment to give you this offer. Come to God and you'll find that your life will never be the same. If you're visiting with us for the first time, a warm welcome to you especially. It's great to have you with us. If you're friends and family of somebody who comes to our church, especially warm welcome to you. Happy Easter, everybody. It's good to see you in church. Amen. When we start out in our Christian walk, uh, pretty much everything, there's a principle in Corinthians. It says, first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. First came natural Adam, then came Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam. First, uh, you, you, um, you get born, and then you get born again. First the natural, then the spiritual. And first, when we, when we come into this issue of giving, we learn how to be faithful with our finances. It's a budgeting issue. I take a portion of my income and I set it aside and I give it to the kingdom of God. And there's a, there's a principle there of faithfulness and we learn to do that. And you, you do that the first time and you, you're hoping that the, there'll be enough uh, salary at the end of the month. And uh, you trust God and then you learn faithfulness in giving. And that's the natural. It's a budgeting issue. The real joy, however, in terms of our finances comes not when we learn faithfulness, that's going to be assumed, uh, is when we learn how to step out in faith. Because faith with finances allows me to step into more than I think that I can do. Uh, I can accomplish way more this way because I'm asking, not because I'm being, um, I'm giving foolishly but because I give when the Holy Spirit prompts me to give. And I go, Lord, are you sure? Because I don't feel like I could, that's, wow, that's a lot, you know. And he's, yeah, son, I got this. And so you learn to give and then he, he gives you more because this is the principle. You'll, you'll discover the, in the season of faithfulness, you'll discover that God is faithful. In the season where you learn faith, you'll discover that the Lord supplies seed to sowers. And he gives bread to eaters. If you want to be a sower, if you want to do more than just budget, if you want to be a sower of significant seed, then you have to learn to step out in faith. Is that making any sense to anyone? So as a church, we're very excited when people learn faithfulness. That's beautiful in your finances. And thank you because we have, we have a church full of people like that. So appreciate that very much. But I'm more excited about us learning the adventure of faith when it comes to our finances. Not just your personal finances or my personal finances, but us as a church. That we learn to give. 
And I just want to say, in, in next month, uh, we're going, a team of us, to Uganda. Uh, we needed over 30,000, we needed $32,000, and we raised $34,000 in a few weeks. And so, thank you. That money is going to go to tw uh, 1,200 pastors from distinct, 1,200 distinct different churches are coming together. And we're creating a manual. We're taking, we're going back over the last five years and all the teachings we've done over the last five years, we're putting them all together in one big manual so that we can equip them. Uh, Lord willing, we're gonna take some memory sticks again. Last year in Uganda, they planted 43 churches out of the memory sticks that you sent. And in Burundi, they planted seven uh, churches out of that. So it's very exciting. And we just wanna honor you and thank you. What I'm asking the Lord, Lord, would you teach us how to learn how to walk by faith? in our finances. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we trust you that you would teach us how to walk by faith because, Lord, learning how to budget with five loaves and, and a few fish will not get us very far. But learning how to break bread for the thousands is what we're interested in. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I have a sermon on my heart. It's called, Now We Live With Great Expectation. Now, in this season, at this time, we live with great expectation. Long before time began, God made a covenant. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a covenant together, and they each agreed 100% to contribute and to plan and to create mankind and then to create a perfect plan of redemption to bring mankind to this place where they could be volitional, that is, exercise free will just like God does, to receive and expand love, who could embrace God not only because he was a supreme commander and the most glorious being in the universe, not just because he was the creator of all things and the absolute authority, but because they loved him because they were drawn to him, because they chose him, because there was something about the relationship that was responsive, that was not God's a sheer magnificence that, that made them helpless and they had to respond in a certain way. God wanted somebody, a bride, an eternal consort, who had chosen, just like he had chosen to love, that they had chosen as well. And the way to make that possible was not to ask them to meet him halfway. Because from the beginning, they had sold themselves as slaves to sin. And so God had planned every aspect of man's creation and redemption, and each member of the Godhead planned to serve this plan and to make sacrifices in order to see it accomplished. And when everything was settled and agreed upon, they covenanted together. They settled this as an eternal purpose. That's what the scripture calls it. The eternal purposes of God, which the Bible says was, was accomplished by Jesus. God set about creating, when that eternal purpose was established and covenanted, God set about starting the process of creating the ultimate prize, an eternal bride for God. Now, none of God's enemies knew about this plan because they weren't invited to the conference, if you know what I mean. They didn't understand it. They just saw the, the Godhead was speaking and then God 
started to move and they have been watching ever since. And they have not understood the plan since its inception. They have not understood it throughout Jesus' coming. Because the Bible says if they'd have understood all about who Jesus was, they would never have crucified him. They, they could not understand the, the, the love that fostered the plan nor the humility that would cause it to be. They could not grasp anything about it. But armed with an eternal purpose, it meant that Jesus would have to become the creator and then he would also have to participate in what he created. Jesus, born to a virgin, began to live a glorious and terrible purpose. Talk about a child of purpose and destiny. Born to a glorious angelic choir song. Announced in heavenly cinematic glory by angels who spoke to poor shepherds. Question is, why didn't they announce this in the king's palace or in the temple in Jerusalem? Why didn't they go to Herod and tell him, why not go to the significant people of the generation? Why this glorious cinematic angelic display in the backwoods of nowhere with some teenage boys who were out shepherding? Because God had an eternal purpose and it was shrouded in mystery. And it was accomplished in Jesus. Let me read this to you. <coughs> Excuse me. This is um, Acts 2. This man, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching to the crowd who are getting saved. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. It's not like when they arrested Jesus, the father was going, what is going on? What are they doing? It was by his deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. Peter is talking about a messianic prophecy that David had made. A thousand years before Jesus came, David prophesied that this was what Jesus was going to know. Jesus was going to know that his father would never let him rot in the grave. He will never let your body see decay. Now, Jesus told his crowds and the disciples and anybody who wanted to listen, he kept telling them, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again. And he did this so often and so much that when he died, the chief priests and the elders went to Herod and they said, listen, this guy, while he was alive, he ran around telling everybody he's going to get raised again. And so we've we we got to stop this. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. He says, because if, you, if you're not careful, his disciples are going to sneak in, steal the body, and then they're going to tell everybody he's risen. So we've got to stop. We've got we to guard this tomb. And so Herod said, do what you want. Go, go your horrors. I mean, make it, make it bold. And so they did. They, they grabbed a whole bunch of soldiers. They moved a massive rock in front of the stone. It's not like one of these little pebbles you could roll away. You need an army to be able to move that rock. And then they put the seal on that so you couldn't break it. And then they guarded it. (laughs) 
And this is everywhere. There's scriptures where Jesus kept saying, hey, I'm gonna be raised from the dead. I'm gonna be raised from the dead. I'm gonna be raised from the dead. On the third day, I'll raise again. So let me read this to you. I'm gonna read from Matthew 28, verse one. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Pretty cool. Like that wasn't hard at all. Look at that. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. And is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you'll see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Ran to tell the disciples. And while the woman were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. There was a lightning, there was, there was thunder, and a stone rolled on, and an angel showed up, and he said, and then we collapsed, and then... When the chief priests had met with the elders, so now they know that Jesus is risen. They devised a plan and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him alive, uh, away while you were asleep. And they said, listen, don't, don't worry, we'll take care of, if Herod finds out about it and wants to kill you, we'll, we'll sort it out. Jesus knew Jesus knew what he had to do. Jesus came and knew that his job was to live a sinless life. He knew that he'd been born of a virgin. He knew that he had a different blood to most mankind. He was not born of Adam's line. He was born uh, by a seed of the Holy Spirit. He had a different blood. He was a new Adam, and he had been born with a sinless body, and his job was to live a sinless life. His job was to fulfill all the requirements of the law, which he did perfectly, by the way. And Jesus always lived like that and lived in such a way that when he came to a place where he, he understood and he knew uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem one day and I'm going to present myself as the Lamb of God, as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all humanity for all time. And so to that end, Jesus lived his entire life. To that end, he said no to temptation because he had you in mind. This wasn't some random life of just some guy who just decided one day I'm going to live holy. No, this was Jesus on eternal purpose for you. This is all part of the eternal plan of God. And so we find this uh, amazing thing that Jesus said, look, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna live this sinless life, and then he does. He bows down low, lets them take him, they whip him, they beat him, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they crucify him. And then the Bible says God expended all the wrath that he had against Jesus. He expended all of his wrath against Jesus. And he just said, 
I'm going to punish him for the sins of mankind. So Jesus was crushed and he was pierced and he was bruised and he was beaten. And when the wrath of God against all the sin of all mankind for all time was appeased and finally spent, Jesus is still alive. The sacrifice was still better than the sin. The sacrifice is still greater than the sin. And when all the wrath of God against all of your sin and all the shame and all the brokenness and all the sickness and all the weakness had been spent, Jesus is still alive and says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus took upon himself the curse that was due to you and to me. And then to fulfill the scriptures, because it was necessary, the penalty for your sin and for mine was death. Jesus had to die. Now we understand this. Because we know that Jesus had promised, I'm going to die. And I'm going to pay for your sins. So Jesus is still alive. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I want you to understand Jesus understood what was going on. Jesus knew that he had to die. But they couldn't take his life from him. He had to give it. So he gave it. And he gave up his life unto death, is what the scripture says. So that your payment would be fully made. But once he was dead, Jesus couldn't raise himself. So Jesus was armed, not just with what he knew he had to do. Jesus knew what the Father had to do as well. Jesus knew what the Father had promised. Jesus knew that the Father had sworn to him, Son, if you lay down your life, I swear this to you, I won't let you decay. I will raise you up. And so Jesus on the cross says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he lays down his life and dies. And the Bible says, God the Father just said, I'm going to raise my son according to my promise. It wasn't a battle. I want you to understand, it wasn't hard. It wasn't like the devil was hanging on and it was a close tussle. God just said, arise. And Jesus awoke from the grave. And when he awoke, his life just burst open. Bible says people in Jerusalem who had lost relatives, their relatives were seen walking around Jerusalem for a couple of days. Like, what happened? Jesus just rose and people rose with him. And then they were like, hey, wasn't that, didn't he die 50 years ago? Yeah. He looked a lot like my great-grandfather. Yeah. He walked like that too. Yeah. We had this amazing idea. That somehow Jesus had all the power to raise himself, but he didn't raise himself. His father raised him. So when he died, he died in faith. Jesus had faith. I'm going to die. I'm going to give up everything for you. Father, you promised. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. And the father raised him. And the father raised his son not just so that Jesus could sit by his right hand. But the Bible says he raised him as a first fruits because he wanted a pathway to be made 
so that he could raise you. So that anybody who believes in him, the moment you die, he'll raise you too. So that your life can be raised up like his. So that your life can experience the glorious power of the living God. That's why Paul says we, we put our faith in the power of God. Why? Because he's going to raise those who believe in Jesus on the last day. Now, we live in a time of released inheritance. God raised his son from the dead, seated him at his right hand. And the Bible says now Jesus lives. He exists there as an intercession. He ever lives to make intercession for you. It's not just that Jesus is praying all the time. It's that his life, his sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice. It's always there, right next to God. And when anybody who believes in Jesus is being discussed in heaven, Jesus is going, yeah, I paid for that one too, Dad. He goes, got it. That one's born in Zion. That one's a believer. That person, that person has all the inheritance that my son died to buy for them. Not on the basis of your performance, not on the basis of your IQ or your gift mix or your ability, or maybe it's because you're front-footed and one of those gifted people. Not on the basis of any of that, but on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you are proven to have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to all the inheritance that Jesus died to purchase. See, the Bible says, Jesus had to walk from Jericho up to Jerusalem on the last week before he was on the way to his crucifixion. That's about 15 miles, but it's about 3,400 feet in elevation. Jericho's low at the coast, Jerusalem's up in the hills. Jesus had to walk 15 miles uphill. And the in Ezekiel, when the glory of God left the temple, it left going east. And he said, the glory will come from the east back into the temple. So Jesus had to come from the west. So he's walking from Jericho. And this is his, he's walking up to Jerusalem. And every step of the way, he knows what's going to happen. Jesus is walking every, take about eight hours, uphill, climbing. And the Bible says Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem because he had something in mind. You think that Jesus didn't have Isaiah 53 memorized? He absolutely did. For he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. For we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him, afflicted. Like a men, like one from whom men hide their faces, and we esteemed him not, but we like sheep have gone astray, and God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus walked those fifteen miles, knowing what he was going to, knowing what faced him. And you know why he did it? Because there was an eternal plan, and God set his eternal love on you. Jesus died, God raised him. And now we live in this amazing time of released inheritance. Let me take you to Hebrews. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus now is seated at God's right hand as the mediator of a new covenant.
those who are called may receive the eternal promised inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That's why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. Bible simply says God had made promises in his eternal plan and every now and again he promised it to his people this is what I'm going to give you and every one of them the Bible says in Hebrews 11 all of these people were still living by faith when they died talking about Abraham and Moses and Caleb and Joshua these are profound people of the faith and Sarah they didn't receive the things that were promised to them they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers here on earth, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised since God had planned something better for them and it was revealed to them that only along with us would they receive their inheritance. You know why? Nobody could receive inheritance because the person who had written the will was still alive. It was only when, that when Jesus died that his will was put into effect. That's why Hebrews says... You cannot receive the, the will, in the case of a will, necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. You can't receive, while I'm still alive, you can't receive my will. Unless it's, no, you can't. Just take, no, no, just. You can't receive the will until the person who wrote the will has been proven to have died. And so when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, not only did God raise him by that blood, not only did God seat him at his right hand, but a new dispensation started that very day. Let me read it to you one more time. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died. So great, what, are we, what times are we living in? We're living in happy times. Because Jesus died to put the will into effect. And you don't have to wait till the sweet by and by for a piece of pie. You can get steak on the plate while you wait. You can receive something now. You can walk in a rich relationship with God. You can experience his peace. You can have his vital presence with you and in you. You can be counseled by him. You can be led by him. You can experience a life full of miracles and power and beauty. You can walk in the spirit even as you walk in this world. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms and there is nothing on earth or in heaven that God has withheld from you who are in Christ Jesus. Greg, why are you, why are you preaching this? Well, we've got to preach good news to the church. So often we preach bad news to the church. And what happens when you preach bad news? People can only reach their faith out and grab all of it. Man, for years I preach bad news. God's ticked with you, doesn't like your sin, it's gonna beat you up. Let's throw that out. And I'm grab that by faith. <laughs> no, I, I wanna tell you, here's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that though he was so very rich, he became so very poor so that in him you could become so very rich. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 says. His riches have become yours by your faith in him. And it's not on the basis of your works. And it's not because of your skill. And it's not because of your personality. It's because of your faith in him and his beauty. And if the people sitting in the room today going, you don't know, I've fallen so far. I've had so much trouble. I've got a sin-sick soul. I'm sitting here and going, I wish I could know God. But you don't know, Greg, where I've gone and what I've done. And I'm so far away from God. No, you're not. You're one prayer away from that kind God. Who could change your whole life. Hebrews 13 says this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us whatever is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. In eternity before time, when they were discussing this, Jesus said, Father, it's going to be necessary for an atoning sacrifice for all mankind. I will go and be that atoning sacrifice. And the Father said, that's astounding and beautiful, as did the Holy Spirit. And the Father said, if you lay down your life, I'll promise you two things. I'll never let you stay dead. I'll raise you up and I'll make you to be the high priest forever. No one else will be able to represent mankind to me but you. I'll only listen to you on behalf of mankind. So armed with those two promises, that's why Jesus went to to, to the grave. But God the Father couldn't fulfill his part of this promise until Jesus had died. So the Bible says when Jesus died and he spilt his blood, the Bible says the Father, the God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant, when he saw that Jesus had died, he knew it was his time, my time. My promises now kick in. When he saw the blood, through the blood of the eternal covenant, he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And through the blood of that eternal covenant, And through the promised faithfulness of God, you have access to the Father. You can come boldly into the throne of grace in Jesus' name. You come in covered by the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by a new and living way open for you into his presence. And you can come boldly, not because you're beautiful and perfect in every way, but because he is beautiful and perfect every way. And you have been baptized into him. So the Bible says... If you were baptized into him, don't you understand that you were baptized into his death? And by the way, you were baptized into his resurrection. So that the moment you die, you got to be with him. I'm particularly looking forward to a body that doesn't respond to carbs in the way that... Amen. Amen. When Jesus' blood was shed, giving proof of death, the Father fulfilled his part by raising him from the dead. Now he lives eternally in that most holy place as the perfect intercession for you. 
I'm going to bring my strength. I'm going to bring my devotion. I'm going to bring my sacrifice. I'm going to bring my service. I'm going to bring my life to my king who has done so much for me. I'm going to pour it out on his behalf. But I promise you, everything about me is not perfect. But I don't mind that because I'm not coming on the basis of my own effort or my own devotion or my own love for God. I come on the basis of my, of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all he cares about. If we are found to be in Christ, you're completely acceptable. You're ushered into his presence. You have everything you need through our knowledge of him, as James says. You are holy and blameless in his sight, as Colossians says. You're accepted in the beloved, as Ephesians says. You have constant and free access to God into his presence by this new and living way. And you should come with freedom and confidence in Jesus' name to ask for what you will. These are the days that those who are called may receive their promised eternal inheritance. And in case you get lost in the depths of the treasures that he's set aside for you, the Holy Spirit has been sent to live inside of you and to guide you into this inheritance so that you can understand it all. Corinthians 2.12, I'm closing with. What we have received is not the spirit who is from the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. If you know and love Jesus, I just want to dare you, I dare you, not just to celebrate today, but to give Jesus the compliment of believing the magnificence of his sacrifice for you. To give the Father the faith that you know he's faithful to his promises. Because the same promise Jesus died with, you're gonna die with. I won't face decay, my Father will raise me. And there's some believers here, and you haven't asked the Lord for a supernatural thing beyond what you can accomplish or beyond what your mind can fathom or budget or figure out. And I just want to say there's a whole world waiting for us outside the limits of what our minds can accomplish. There is a whole world the Holy Spirit wants to introduce you to. There is an inheritance that you didn't earn. He earned it. It's not a salary of the saints. It's the inheritance of the saints. A salary is something you earned. An inheritance is something somebody else earned and gave to you at their passing. There is an inheritance left over for the saints that is waiting for you to come and receive with boldness and faith. And if you've never really known Jesus or you've drifted far away from him, I just wanna to say to you, I'd like to offer you a time, an opportunity to pray. And I don't need to know all the details of your life and I'm not really interested in, in getting a long list of all the sins that you've done. I'm pretty sure you're clear on that and I know the Lord is clear about that. But if you've never known the Lord, if you want to come back to him, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer that I'm going to pray right now and just say, Lord, receive me. Forgive me. I want my life to count. I want to serve you. Let's pray that prayer now.
Lord, I come to you and I ask, would you forgive me of my sins? And I just want to say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came for me. I believe that you died in my place. I'm just a little astounded at how much you would love me because you did something like that. But my life is not right. I haven't done well. So I'm asking you to forgive me, to wash me clean. I'm also asking, Lord, that you'd come into me and give me a brand new life and give me the power to live a brand new way. I so need you, Lord. And I'm asking you to change me entirely. In Jesus' name. While every eye is closed, if you pray that prayer, why don't you just raise one hand above your head. Let me just see. Just raise it up. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? This side. Thank you. Lord, we just say thank you for the amazing beauty of this day. For the amazing revelation of your love that God set his love on us and would not let us go. To you, Lord, belongs the praise. And we thank you, Lord, for every person who just made that decision. And we ask, Lord, that you would transform them and change their lives in Jesus' name. Amen.